Welcome to episode 105 of the Search with Candor podcast, recorded on Thursday, the 1st of April 2021. My name is Mark Williams Cook, and today we're going to be joined by Sophie Brannan, who is Senior SEO Manager at Absolute Digital Media, to talk about keyword research and content mapping. Before we get going, this episode is sponsored by Sitebulb. Sitebulb, if you haven't heard of it, is a desktop-based SEO auditing tool for Windows and Mac. It's an absolutely brilliant bit of software. I've been using it personally for years, as we have with Inside Canada Agency. So it's it's really cool they decided to sponsor the podcast because it's something I can talk about really easily. And actually, we delivered some training last week around status codes, HTTP status codes, and got into depth about soft 404s. So those pages that are returning 200, everything is fine codes, but actually they're showing the user that the page isn't found. And one of the interesting things I find about Sitebulb, apart from all of the usual kind of checks that auditing software does around crawling the site, It actually has its own little separate checks it does. So we've spoken about ones before about checking if you're on Cloudflare, for instance, which can affect your crawl. But it even does stuff like testing for soft 404s. So they will make up their own random page URL, which they know, unless they're incredibly unlucky, won't exist on the site. And they're checking that the HTTP code they get back is a 404 and it's not coming back as a 200. So... Sitebulb is a really great bit of kit to not just look at your kind of usual audit checks, but it does all these other spot checks which can highlight things that otherwise can slip through unless you're specifically manually looking for them. To listeners of Search with Candor, they have a special offer. If you go to sitebulb.com forward slash SWC, you can get an extended 60-day trial, no credit card, payment upfront, anything like that. Sitebulb.com forward slash SWC. And as I said, today we are joined by Sophie Brannan, who is the Senior SEO Manager at Absolute Digital Media, Brighton SEO 2021 speaker, and according to your LinkedIn profile, currently learning Python. Welcome, Sophie. Thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. It's really great to be here. So do you want to just give us a quick introduction to yourself for the people that don't know you um, and maybe maybe tell us what you're talking about at Brighton SEO and 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 now you're on this train with a lot of SEOs I think learning Python Mm -hmm. yeah definitely so as you said I am the senior SEO manager at Absolute Digital Media Um, I've been in the industry for just over five years so I started in content with my background in journalism moved into copywriting across to SEO account management and now I look after all of the account managers and all of the client accounts just kind of overseeing strategies and things like that Um, spoke this year at Cruel Error and Brighton SEO. So the first time I've ever done speaking events. So it was 
really fun and really scary at the same time. Um, on topics like passage indexing at Crawl Error and at Brighton last week was about positioning yourself as an expert in order to get buy-in. So those technical recommendations, kind of fighting the dev teams, the clients and making sure that your recommendations do actually get implemented. Um, the Python thing is a really new venture for me. So I'm about 5% into my Udemy course at the moment. Um, but it's something everyone's talking about. So I really wanted to jump on the bandwagon, really start learning and improving my own technical SEO knowledge as well. And being able to implement a lot of that stuff, I think it's really, really fun. So yeah, it's, it's a new journey, new venture. It's really interesting. So we spoke to uh, Billy Gina last week on the podcast, who I think had a similar background to you in terms of she started kind of in content. And now Billy was talking in the house she's looking a lot more into technical uh, and automation. So from the two things you said there, before we move on to our subject, which is going to be around keyword research and content mapping, have you got any advice for people who are thinking about making that leap from kind of a, a content non-technical world to to looking at more technical stuff? Because as well, you mentioned about talking to dev teams there. So surely you've, you've, you've got to have some, you know, technical grounding to be able to do that is that right definitely I think the biggest thing for me and how I really learned about it all was just jumping into the deep end to be honest just going right immerse myself in all of the resources talk to devs get an understanding of the language that they're using not even necessarily the really really technical stuff but more of the why they're doing things and explaining to them why you want to do things as well and being able to work together so just don't be afraid I think it's my biggest tip for it and just really jump in the deep end there's such a great community in the SEO world and the tech world you've got things like the women in tech SEO community for all the lovely ladies in SEO um, and women who code and just generally everyone is so supportive on things like Twitter and LinkedIn so get involved in the communities just jump in the deep end and just start learning. I think that's really good advice on the the why thing so when when we do technical SEO training um, one of the things that I always try and get across to people is that, like you said, as an SEO, I think it's your place to know what needs doing. And it's important to know why it needs doing so you can explain it to a developer. And actually, I think a lot of the time you don't need to go into the how because then you're you are in dangerous territory of almost telling someone how to do their job. So like we need to do this and this is why. Can you tell me how to do it? Have you had anyone kind of mentor you then with with in terms of technical SEO? Have you got some sort of someone that's helped you along with that internally, maybe, or or on Twitter, or has it just been the community as, as a whole? Yeah, I think the community as a whole. I'm in a really lucky position because I've always been agency side. So I've always had great support from the dev team at Absolute, the SEO team at Absolute, PPC guys too, because they're always brilliant at things like tracking and stuff like that. So Generally, working agency side has been really, really helpful. But a lot of it as well has been off the back of my own research and just reaching out to people, watching people's webinars, their talks at all of these conferences um, and just having a chat, really. So, yeah. Nice. And and lastly, while we're on conferences, before we get on to our subject, have you got any advice? You said these were the first kind of first ever. public talks you did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So any advice for people thinking about doing that or what what's you know, one thing you would say to someone who's about to to wants to venture into that it's scary but you have to kind of own it <laughs> it's the biggest thing so 
fortunately for me so far, Cruel Error and Brighton SEO were both pre-recorded. So you did have that opportunity to really prep for it if you wanted to. I'm personally the type of person who just goes, I'm just going to record it. Okay, the audio sounds good, send and never watch it again. Um, But just prepping a little bit more and again, just getting advice and support and get people to give you feedback on your talks as well, whether that's the content of them, the presentation or even the whole recording and doing run-throughs and stuff is really helpful. Just go for it. Like the Kirsty Hulse is someone we work really quite closely with um, and someone I've been working quite closely with over the last few months in particular, particularly in the build-up to things like Brighton SEO. And one of the things she said to me which really resonated was all about when you're doing a talk or you're doing a training session, there's always going to be someone who knows more than you and there's always going to be someone who knows less than you. So don't be afraid of it and just really go for it. That's a nice way to think about it. Mm, it really helps. I think... <laughs> I think Brighton SEO do offer some support as well to to first time speakers. I don't know if that's something you you took them up on, but I'm pretty sure I saw them saw them tweeting about that. But that that's good advice. Do jump in. I think Kirsty runs is it raw training yes, off yeah. the top of my head? Yeah. So uh, Kirsty House, I've um, was actually one of my I haven't seen her speak in a while, but one of my favourite speakers. I've seen her um, talk quite a few times. So if you are looking for kind of confidence training if you like I think she's a good person to look up definitely so so let's get on to our subject um we want to talk about keyword research and and content mapping and I think just a logical place to start is do you want to give us an overview of of what we mean when we're talking about this because keyword research is a term obviously that's been chucked around since the beginning of time in terms of SEO and PPC so specifically what's this what is this process Cool. So I'll explain first about keyword mapping, because for me, every strategy I do, it starts with a keyword map. So for me, a keyword map is a framework that can be used to effectively like assign sets of keywords to a particular URL, which follows your site structure based on keyword research. So I find a keyword map's a really great tool because it will pull together everything and and it really showcases transparency, it showcases your priorities and most importantly it helps to really identify and avoid potential content duplication issues or cannibalization. And then with the keyword research side of it it's just the process as you say since the beginning of time SEOs follow to find search terms that people are entering into search engines and using this to then inform that strategy. I think that's something that I've encountered quite a lot over the years, which is without that plan in place or without forethought of SEO, when we look at content clients have done, there is this issue of cannibalization, which which to frame it is basically where you've got several pages, right, that are pretty much targeting the same keywords or set of keywords and you're leaving search engines in a weird position where they're like, I don't know which one you want me to rank, right? So... In terms of in key, keyword research, the the thing I've had a few interesting conversations about recently is around search volume. Um, so we we published um, our also asked tool a couple of years ago now, mm-hmm. and that focuses on these really long tail questions. And if you run them through any kind of search volume tool, they always come up. As zero and I've had people mm-hmm. saying can can we integrate like search volume in it and I've been like no mm-hmm. so w- what are your thoughts around um how important search volume is 
in keyword mapping, keyword research and where that sits and is it the be all and end all? And I wouldn't say it's the be all and end all. I think it depends very much so on the clients that you're dealing with because a lot of clients are very focused on the old school. I want to rank position one for this particular keyword. And we know that that's not what SEO is all about anymore. So search volume is a really good indication and you can do a lot of forecasting with SEO based on click-through rate and search volumes and things like that. But it's also looking more at the intent of the user. For me, it's looking at, okay, you've got all of that volume of traffic for a really short tail keyword, but are they really coming to the website with the intent to actually purchase something or to convert via filling out a form? It's really the more long tail client uh, customers and users that are going to do that because they're much further down the conversion path. So I'm all for looking at the high search volume terms, but the most valuable terms that I've found with any SEO strategy and with the keyword mapping process has been the longer tails and almost the lower search volume terms as well. I think this links into for for quite a few years now, Google has been using this phrase "things, not strings," and and literally, I mean, like over ten, I think it was over ten years ago, I yeah. first heard that when they were t- introducing their knowledge graph. And mm-hmm. um, we've we've talked about this on the podcast a few times and talked about how this is referring to Google's approach now of trying to use entities and understand what things are and relationships between things, rather than trying to match an exact keyword phrase. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think just as a as a user, as an observant user of Google at least, that's something I've I've seen in search results, which is that you I don't necessarily see the exact thing I typed in for as much as I used to in mm-hmm. in titles and such. So do you think this has meant that the actual practice then of keyword research has changed over time or is it mostly the same as it has been? I think the whole concept of entities is really interesting. Um, And we can see, like you say, actually in Google search results, when we're personally searching for stuff, how Google has evolved over time to get that better grasp of synonyms and how users are searching. And it's all obviously through their natural language processing as part of the algorithm. So I don't think it's necessarily changed the keyword research process, but it's more changed what keywords people should be targeting within their strategies based on that intent. So I think the knowledge graph was introduced in, I want to say 2012 or something. It was around. Sounds about right. Yeah. And that's where the whole concept came from. And it's the knowledge graph that's really changing how things are displayed in search results. So if you was to type in, um, I think Rand Fishkin did a really great talk on this a few years back at Brighton SEO and he typed in Brighton and you can just have all of the little panels up there and organic search systems are so far down. And it's led to this whole process and this whole kind of evolution of zero click searches. So people seeing these featured snippets, seeing the knowledge graph, seeing all of these panels and things like that. Um, And it's definitely changed how we have to do SEO and the kind of opportunities and the click throughs that we're getting from the channel as such. But it's more about the keywords that you're choosing. And again, going back to the long tail stuff are you more likely to get actual converting traffic off of long tail keywords than you are the short tails because of this evolution of the things, not strings. So it's definitely more based, I think, on search intent. Let's talk a bit more about zero click because that's the that's the hot potato at the yeah. minute. Um, so if you're doing a, some keyword research and keyword mapping and you found some search terms you think you like, 
And when you actually look at them in Google, you're seeing maybe, yeah, you're getting, I don't know, like a featured snippet that tells us the answer, a knowledge graph, um, a, a people also ask. So the, a lot of that is zero click, if you like, territory. Is that something you would then deprioritize as a keyword or is that something you lean into and say, well, we want to try and be there even though we're not going to necessarily get a click? What are your thoughts on that? I love a featured snippet, me. <laughs> They're like my favorite things. Um, for me, SEO isn't just about getting the clicks through. It's also a brand visibility thing. And this is why it ties so nicely into things like digital PR as well and looking at integrated marketing. So using both SEO and PPC to really capitalize on getting those clicks. But if you're really visible and Google is really rewarding you because your content is great and the site's really well um, technically sound and things like that getting those featured snippets is only going to benefit you we've seen and we've run some tests our side as well that you do still get clicks for a featured snippet so you shouldn't just deprioritize it because there is still opportunity there but it's also just showcasing the website and going we've got all the information you need the chances are with a featured snippet okay people are finding sometimes what they're looking for within that little snippet of text there but other times they're going to need to find out a bit more information and that's when you're going to get those clicks. As you say as well, I think it's um, you're putting stuff in your like brand equity pot in terms of people are seeing you and then, you know, you might have more people maybe Googling your brand mm -hmm. and just becoming a bit better known. And again, I've seen lots of people say interesting things as well about when it comes to Google trying to understand organizations and brands and that's all tied in with this expertise, authority and trust around mm -hmm. content. So generally, click or not, it's it's a good thing. It's a good sign, you're saying, if, you, if you're showing up in, in these results. Yeah, I definitely think so. And you can use it to your own advantage as well. Um, I think Spark Toro with Rand did this really great uh, bunch of research around it. And you can get yourself in those panels. You can use structured markup to make sure your snippets are all right and things like that. Um, but generally, yeah, why wouldn't you want to show up on at the top of Google in a featured snippet? Whether you're going to get those clicks or not, it's still great for brand visibility. Not everyone will agree with me. I've worked with clients who've gone, you know what? No, we're not interested in that. We want clicks. We want conversions. But for me, if you can build it all up, build up that visibility, get all of that search visibility there, then you're laughing. That's an interesting uh, maybe side topic there. What what are your thoughts or what what do you do if 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 you've got like a strategy, say where you think, okay, I think long term it's beneficial to to be visible because maybe you think, um, and I think this is a fair a fair thought. I'll put it out there without any evidence that you know if 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 you are being seen more for these types of queries in in featured snippets in in the knowledge graph, Google's understanding what you do, what the services or products are. So I think maybe you've got a better chance overall ranking. And then a client says to you, no, we're not interested in that. We, we don't want, we just want clicks. And that's kind of maybe you think going against what you think is good for them long-term. How do you, how do you approach that with them? So this is what my Brighton SEO talk was all about. So it's about getting that buy-in from clients to really get you get your own way almost to a degree um you have to showcase value more than anything what is your strategy actually going to do for them is it going to get them those clicks is it going to help them to achieve their overall objective and their overall goals 
and really drive ROI for their business because that's what they're after. They can pay a set fee per month or it could be on contract or however the business operates. But if they're not making that money back and more at the end of the day, then for them, it's not going to be beneficial. So it's really about showcasing the data behind it, but not overwhelming them as well by going, here's all these numbers, like this is why you should do it. It needs to be really explained in a really nice way to go, this is why we should do it. And this is the value you're going to get out of it as well. Yeah, we um we were having a conversation yesterday about this actually with a, on, on another podcast about clients. And I think similar to the developer thing, which is if you're hiring an SEO for their specialism, sometimes it's good to tell them what you need but not tell them how to do it yeah. and just kind of trust in them in that way. So that's my non-bias um, <laughs> kind of view for maybe people that are working with agencies, which is, you know, if you're paying them, you know, and you want them to take responsibility and have accountability for what they're producing for you, you know, go with, go with their recommendation maybe. Yeah, for sure. But at the same time for us at Absolute in particular, we really like to work transparently, but in partnership with our clients so we'll never just turn around and be like, you know what, you can't do that or you can't tell us what to do because we're the experts. We want to make sure that we're doing it in line with what they want to achieve as well. They are the client at the end of the day. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So um, what what are some of the tools you'd recommend? So if 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 we're starting out on a, a, a keyword research mapping, content mapping project, what's the process you go through? Is there like a different set of tools you use or or the same ones in a process what what does that look like so I think there's three different stages to pulling together keyword research and a content mapping file as well first of all you need to use a crawling tool so my personal favorite is screaming frog but I know loads of people use things like deep crawl and on crawl things like that because you need that full list of urls it's all well and good going through the website picking out the ones from the navigation or the ones that might be in your sitemap but what about all those really, really in-depth, long-form blog articles that have been written 10 years ago that are just buried really, really deep? You're going to need to pull those out as well to make sure you are you are avoiding that content duplication issue when you're pulling together the keyword map. So some sort of crawling tool is always my first step. Then moving on to the actual keyword research process, I love SEMrush, I love Ahrefs and Google Keyword Planner. I always use just to kind of cross-reference things as well. And then some of the more long tail tools, so like um, Answer the Public and things like that, just so we've getting a really, really good idea and a full understanding of what people are searching for. And then using that to then map towards those URLs that you've just crawled out. And then for me, the most manual process of this, but possibly the most important part is just checking it in Google search results. Because you can turn around and say, I want this keyword to be ranking on this particular URL. But if you're already position one, two, three, or page one with a different URL, then are you really going to want to jeopardize that traffic that's potentially already coming through? So just regularly checking it using just Google search results as well is really important. I really like that, actually, the um, checking what Google kind of likes already. Um, and we've I've had that before where we've, we've, we've seen a client that's been ranking for one of their kind of core key phrases which should have been like a category level search and as it happened their their product was ranking one of their products but it was like the the main product if you mm -hmm. like and it was really interesting to talk to them about because when we spoke to them about that category they were like well yeah this one product is like 80 percent of the sales 
And the discussion was kind of like Google's almost worked that out Mm -hmm. in that when people search for this category, it's normally that thing they buy. So they've jumped the queue there. And the, the strategy we ended up doing was just doubling down on that essentially and saying, well, I think we're going to have a hard time trying to reverse back uphill with this and tell Google not to rank that page, rank the category page. And there's obviously risk if we try and do redirects or canonical yeah, tags. So um, we just doubled down and actually changed a lot of the kind of nav links to that main product and it worked really well. So I think that's that's a really great bit of advice um, you've uncovered there for people. Yeah. Some, something you touched on very quickly there, you mentioned old blog posts mm-hmm. and I just wanted to get your kind of opinion here because I've seen lots of people saying recently, and I've actually seen anecdotally at least this just work apparently in in a vacuum which is just around kind of updating and refreshing that really really old stuff now I think this is maybe marred into if you redate stuff it it jumps to like the top of the link structure again so it's like more of an important page but do you think like updating old blog posts is one important relevant and two does it directly impact rankings I think it depends on the purpose again the why you're doing it um for me refreshing content is always really beneficial because search intent will always change even if it's like an evergreen piece of content or what's deemed to be evergreen you're going to need to refresh it just to make sure that you have got the most accurate and up-to-date information there and that's going back to google's guidelines with the whole um, expertise authority trustworthiness side of it keeping it fresh keeping it up to date is really important I think it can impact rankings to a degree because, again, re-looking at the keyword optimization of that page, keeping it fresh, adhering to eat is all really, really important stuff. In terms of the importance of it and doing it as like a regular exercise, it depends on what you're trying to achieve out of it. If you're trying to drive more informational users to your website and you're trying to boost your brand visibility and doing it that way, then great. I think that's a really good strategy. If you're more interested in having people visiting the website to buy a product or to land on uh, your contact page, for example, get to your contact page um, and convert that way, then maybe that's not the best way to do it. I think it's very much to do with who your customers are, um, how far or how long they may need to be nurtured for. And then that will really tell you the value of whether re-optimizing blog posts and refreshing them is actually worth it. Is this is this process of in your opinion, content mapping, keyword research, is it a one-off thing you you kind of set out at the beginning or do you revisit it for for specific pages, products, categories? Because I assume over, over time in some industries, the actual words people use are, are different or new words come into play. Is that something you schedule to look at or is it on an ad hoc basis? Yeah, so I find a keyword mapping file to be a constant evolution. It's one of the first things I do when a new client comes on board, along with the technical audits and things like that, because it it just gives you a real clear structured plan of what you're going to be doing moving forward and why and all of that transparency. Um, But ultimately, it's it's one of those things where it, it does need to be a constant evolution, but maybe not a structured one. So it doesn't need to be scheduled in for every quarterly um, basis, every six months, every year. It needs to be more of an ad hoc thing based on looking at Google trends and looking at how consumers are searching, looking at Google's algorithm updates. Has the knowledge graph made more of an impact or less of an impact on certain terms? 
Are people talking about things in a different way? Has there been something really newsworthy? There's all of these different tick boxes you kind of have to go through, but it's more of an ad hoc basis. It's really interesting. I've seen it happen in in some industries where literally the main key term has totally changed. So the the first one I saw that happen with most noticeably was uh, with with vaping type businesses. So they just used to be called e-cigarettes that, you know, nobody had ever used that term. And I saw all these kind of affiliate stores and e-commerce sites pop up and they were buying all these e-cigarette, electric cigarette like Mm -hmm. domains. And then I guess just because of media and you know, common usage. Now, nobody calls them e-cigarettes anymore. They just, vaping. you know, they talk about vaping, right? So that that was really interesting because it's basically the same product and it's just 180. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's interesting. So what what would you say are the most common mistakes you see with clients in terms of, of this keyword research and mapping process? If they say, yeah, we've done our keyword research and then you look at it and you're like, oh no, <laughs> what, do you, what do you regularly see? It's that whole concept of not taking search intent into account not looking at things like what is already ranking um and not looking at knowledge graphs and potentially are they even going to rank that keyword is it too competitive is it something that they're not actually really going to want to rank for because they're going to get actually really low quality traffic so definitely the most common mistake is just completely ignoring search intent to be honest yeah, we. I was having a conversation just yesterday with with a potential client where they have a a, a premium product in a, I guess a, a product search category that's normally quite a common like throwaway almost product, and they were talking about how well they were ranking already and how you know maybe we can get to number one, two, and three. And when I looked at those search results when I was on the call with them, I was saying to them, "Well, look, I think." while this is a big search term and you are already ranking quite well and their conversion was quite high, that it's probably the case that most of the searches actually want the cheap one because that's the common mass thing. So mm-hmm. like you said, it, I said to them, it might not even be possible for you to rank number one yeah. because people don't want your product generally. They want, this, they want the other one. And the reason their conversion rate was so high, even though they weren't ranking well, was a, an effect of the people that saw the cheap stuff ranking well didn't want it yeah. so they've kept going down the surf until they found the product that they wanted so even though they're in the minority they they convert well which is like a really confusing picture if if you just look at the numbers you're like oh we've got a x percent conversion at number 10 therefore if we're number one we're going to make like a billion pounds mm-hmm. but yeah so again really good tip for being honest with yourself and are you actually do you deserve to rank and are you the the right product to, mm-hmm. or or service to to rank for that have you seen um i'm i'm going to throw it in there because it comes up in every conversation about well any anything tech nowadays which is ai mm-hmm. so have you seen any impact on artificial intelligence in any of you can interpret that and take it as any way as you like including tools that do use AI or claim they do. Is that something, you know, you see becoming important? Because we know Google is using various bits of uh, AI in the background around intent and things like that. Um, Do you think it's something that is impacting or will impact this process? Definitely in terms of what keywords you should be targeting, because using the natural language processing and the intent side of it, that's going to change really what you should be trying to 
rank for or what you even want to be visible for and how you can be as well. In terms of the actual process itself and doing it, I know a lot of people and I've been speaking to a lot of people recently about using a lot more automation in their keyword research process in terms of how they're extracting the data from the tools and how they're almost trying to map it as well. And I think Python is a really big part of that. But for me, and I don't know if this is just because I'm very particular about these things, but it should never take away from the manual process of it. So just doing those checks and just constantly being on top of how Google and their own AI and what they're doing with their own machine learning is impacting what you're trying to achieve as well. Hmm. We've certainly um, started to experiment with a few tools uh, like copy.ai is one um, that uses GPT-3 to try and do things like it, it can try and write like ad headlines and ad text. Mm-hmm. And it it's kind of hit and miss. Um, so sometimes it'll come up with something that's actually really great. Um, a lot of the time it'll be like, okay. And sometimes it's just complete madness. It's like nothing relevant, but we found it useful at least just for inspiration. Um, and, you know, cause there is a benefit. I, I always think with, with teams, and this is maybe where in-house sometimes, sometimes suffers of just getting other people's point of view on stuff and getting their input and getting you out of your own kind of thought bubble. Mm-hmm. So I found like, from from our point of view we've we've found a few bits of ai that are good at just maybe broadening horizons and making us think differently uh but yeah totally agree um i don't think it's anywhere near the stage where we can just kind of rely on it or lean into it yet yeah definitely not yet and i don't know if it ever will be as well because i think there's always going to need that human element of it maybe i'm being cynical I don't know (laughs) even with all my python training and stuff I'm doing at the moment I really do love a manual process so it's important and automating things is it can be a real time saver and as you say it can act as an inspiration and get you out of your little bubble but I think for now at least you're going to need to keep checking stuff so to to end on uh because we're just over half an hour now do you have any tips you'd like to finish on so not necessarily mistakes but opportunities you commonly see missed that you'd like to to share and and get people maybe who are starting out doing this or or business owners that are talking to SEOs what should they be looking out for I think and I know I've said this numerous times on this podcast today but just don't forget the search intent side of it doing those checks seeing what's ranking can you rank for it why do you want to rank for it are you going to attract the right kind of traffic to it as well um Definitely don't forget that. And that's a key opportunity for any keyword mapping file. Again, a bit more of a manual process, but one that's really, really valuable. And as well as that, I think trying to take into account the rich results side of things. So looking at those FAQs opportunities or the how to's and using some of that structured markup and capitalizing on that within the content that you're writing to. That can it can be mapped out as part of the keyword research and keyword mapping file process, or it can just be there as a little note, just to be like, okay, let's make sure we do this when it actually gets to production stage as well. So that's another thing as as an opportunity and as the whole structured markup and schema continues to grow and evolve, there's always going to be new opportunities there to take advantage of as well. Sophie, thank you so much for your time and sharing your knowledge with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so much fun. We are going to be back in one week's time 
uh, after the bank holiday. So by the time you're listening to this, it will be bank holiday. So we'll be back next Monday, which will be the 12th of April. I hope you've enjoyed the podcast. Do subscribe, tell a friend, all that nice stuff if you are enjoying it. Otherwise, I hope you have a great week. <laughs>